Film Trauma Podcast. Hey, thanks for joining me today. Uh, my name is Rick. I'm your host. I love movies. Not only do I love movies, but I buy a lot of movies. I think this year alone I've spent thousands on boutique Blu-ray releases. And the problem is I buy the movies. I see them online. They're, they're brightly colorful. I get sucked in by the by the marketing, you know, brand new to scan, release, print, you know, all these keywords, these buzzwords to lure suckers like me into buying every release that comes out. Not that you shouldn't buy them because they're all wonderful. And I really respect the hard work of the the boutique labels to go through the painstaking efforts to restore the films and put together the supplemental material and put these out. But for someone like me with a shopping problem and a spending problem, it winds up uh, being a lot. So, you know, I decided to go through my entire film collection and watch all these movies and use my podcast as a space to talk about it because I feel like if I don't, I'm just going to keep buying these things, put them on the shelf, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll watch it later, I'll watch it later, and then I wind up watching the same four movies I watch over and over again. So this is really motivating me to break out of that space and to finally dig into my wonderful collection. I have a a fantastic collection that I've curated not only this year, but over the last several years, really since, you know, I was about 16. I started collecting VHS, buying VHS movies, and it's really grown since then throughout uh, the advent of DVD and, you know, digital media. I don't don't buy a lot of digital media, but I collect a lot of digital media um, curated online. And but I do buy you know we and I'll, I'll say that th- we are in a renaissance of physical media um, with with all these wonderful wonderful companies that put out these terrific releases um, labels like Mondo Macabro, Sovereign, Vinegar Syndrome, Cauldron, American Genre Film, um, Grindhouse, Eighty Eight Films, Blue Underground, Synapse. And just to name a few, Shout Factory, Scream Factory, Imprint, Indicator, Arrow. There's just so many. There's so many, and then they're great. You know, they're they're great. And I and I do have um I have a region free Blu-ray player that I picked up, and it really just made my collecting problem worse. I think because I buy movies on Amazon UK, Amazon US, and you know. A lot of times, well, at least this was the case several years ago, where the Blu-rays, the Arrow releases on Amazon UK were cheaper than the Arrow US releases. Some of them would be, you know, $35, $40 in the US release, whereas in the Amazon, I was getting them for 12 13 14 bucks. Same movie, slightly different packaging. You know, you had to have the region free, free player. That's the caveat, but... They kind of jump started my um, my my uh, you know drive to collect. So anyway, 
we're starting today with, I just picked the movie randomly off my shelf. I've been really into the Mondo Macabro label recently, and I picked up a copy of Satanico Pandemonium, and I'm really excited. I watched it last night, and it was amazing. You know, I don't know a lot about non-sploitation films. I don't know a lot about the movies that I bought, other than the cover art looks good. I'm interested in the actors or the subject matter or whatever it is. And, you know, some people are more disconcerting with, with their selection, more careful with their money about the, the media that they choose to buy and where they how they choose to spend it. I am not. I am much more careless when it comes to that, for better or for worse. And for better, you know, I wind up with a, a wonderful collection of films, but for worse... You know, I spent too much fucking money. So um, I don't know a lot about non-sploitation films, but I do own quite a few of them. I I have the Nasty Habits Sovereign box set that I picked up this year. I'm really excited to dig into that. Um, and several other um, loose non-sploitation films. This um, certainly falls into the genre. And I watched this Mondo Macabro release. And with these Mondo Macabro releases, these physical discs, you know, they these the discs from these boutique labels all tend to, the, the branding and the packaging seems to be very similar. Um, the quality is there. Now, they, I haven't seen, maybe they do have slip cases, slip covers. Um, but I, I don't have, I don't own a physical copy with a from Mondo Macabro that has a, a slip cover. And I know they were doing DVDs before, but this is the Blu-ray. And um, watching this DVD, I heard about another film, Alucarda, which I want to check out as well. This film was sort of compared to that. And um, I don't, I'm not sure if it has a Blu-ray release. I think I only saw it for DVD. But um, yeah, uh, Satanico Pandemonium, a.k.a. La Sexorcista, directed by Gilberto Martinez Solares, filmed in Mexico from 1975. 90 minutes widescreen, Spanish language, English subtitles, starring Cecilia Pizet, Enrique Roca, uh, Delia Magana, sorry, Clemencia. I'm sorry, I'm butchering these names, but in any case, um, the back of the box talks about it's in the spirit of Ken Russell's The Devils and also Alucarda. Um, it is from one of the most prolific Mexican film directors, filmmakers of his era, Gilberto Martinez Solares. And when you watch the supplemental material, there's a wonderful interview with his son. He talks about uh, working with his father and how um, his father had directed over 200 feature films. This was the first film that he worked with his father on. I guess his father didn't want him to go into film. He so he went out and got an education, his son. And then when he came back, they began working on these projects together. Um, of course, Gilberto Martinez Solares also put out some Santo releases from the Santo, a pro wrestler uh, character in Mexican cinema. I'm very excited. I do have quite a large <laughs> Santo collection. I picked up the release last year. I think it was last year. Might have been earlier this year the Santo Blu-ray release from I don't remember exactly who put it out um, 
and there's another set coming out as well very soon um, so it was really nice to see when I turned in the supplemental material that Gilberto Martinez Solares had a connection to something I wasn't already familiar with the special features on the Mondo, Mondo Macabro release is the brand new 4K transfer from the film negative and when you start the film it gives you the option to watch from the original uh, the original release or the the transfer and they both have their you know their merits right the preprint scan you can watch or the theatrical print scan um, and it says when you when you pull up the menu it says we were delivered two scans for the film on this disc the first taken from preprint materials turned out to have a slight optical blemish on some reels and we asked the licensor to correct this and they eventually supplied us with a scan taken from a positive print According to them, the only 35mm source that did not have this issue. The flaw is minor and not present on every reel. However, we feel it best to give the viewer a choice on which version they prefer. Each has its merits and demerits. So um, I watched the theatrical print scan, and I, I feel like it was... And I watched the, the remastered. It was, it was beautiful. A very, very beautiful film distributed by Hollywood Films South America. Um, it was my first non-exploitation film that I watched all the way through, and the opening sequence is it, it, beautiful. It's sort of this uh, oil paint and, and water effect that they have, and the wonderful titles. Um, but you know, I wasn't sure what to expect when I started this film. Um, I'm, I'm very used to watching Italian horror. Italian horror is, is a very specific style. They they do things very, very gracefully, very artfully. Um, a lot of times the story is kind of one way or another. It's not always coherent, cohesive, but a uh, little bit is there. And visually, uh, just a masterpieces, masterpiece works of art. This film um, didn't really have any great special effects to speak of um of course it is beautiful it, it looks beautiful the remastered version is wonderful and the lead actress playing mary is, is, uh, is such a, a lovely looking woman and i think all the the budget for this really went to you know locations and and costumes there isn't much what, what camera effects they do have in the film are very rudimentary you know, it's just um, they have uh, when when Mary she's walking the opening shot, the opening sequence. I should start with she's walking through this uh, very beautiful, lush field, collecting these these flowers, and they're in the, the flowers themselves are these long stemmed, very they look very planted. You know, they're they're very they're not natural to the environment. Um, so she's plucking these long flowers, and she she runs into this the Lucifer character and then the effects that they use to make him appear and disappear you know i don't know if there's a, a name for it but you know they, they they just they cut the footage and they remove him and they roll again it's something that you learned to do on your on your camcorder as a kid you know if you were like me and you made home movies with your friends it was just appear disappear appear disappear kind of thing so um it, you know it's, it's it's actually rather charming when you watch it, but um, there isn't much uh, in the way of special effects um, that I was impressed by in this film, but not that it's bad. It's just a, a different 
thing that I saw from when you compare it to sort of the Italian films of the same era. But she encounters uh, Lucifer in the, in, in the forest. And up until that point, you know, she when you first see her, she's very she's very bright eyed and you know, she she's 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 a nun, of course, so you get that the sense that she's very chaste and um you know, um holy and all this. So the first encounter she has with, with Satan, with Lucifer tempting her, you know, and it's and, and it's very, very heavy on the religious metaphors. He's He's nude. He's he's offering her an apple. You know, bite the apple. Of course. So, um, so after she encounters the Lucifer character, she she encounters uh, one of the other main characters of the film, his little boy, Marcello, um, and you get you get a sense of how kind and, and generous she is, which is kind of all the more disturbing because later on, uh, what happens and how she and how she treats Marcello. And his grandmother, um, it, it's a very disturbing and and shocking relationship. And I, and from what I understand, why this film was so infamous for its time, because not only um, did you have the the violence and and the themes of of Satanism and being anti potentially anti religious or these very challenging themes of Satan and devil worship and nudity and sex and you had this female protagonist who was ostensibly a sex offender who was going around sexually assaulting women and uh, this young boy, Marcello, here. Eventually she does sexually assault him in the film, which I felt was very shocking. And, um, you know, I really had no expectations going into this film. I was pleasantly surprised, I think, at every turn how this film just it kept... It kept shocking me, you know. It kept subverting my expectations. I would think that the story is going to take me in one direction, and, and it kind of leads me this way. And then, wow, this this moment happens. This jarring event happens, and um, I'm totally surprised. And it kept me engaged. I think um, I really like that about this film. And this film is a little short. It's um, and I think the reason why it's short is from budgetary reasons. From what I understand, they they showed up on set, and there had to be script changes immediately. So the director had to make a decision on which sequences to cut and pull from the script. So he did, and and then from what his son explained, was that's why the the film seems a little light, seems a little short. But the locations, the locations in this film are absolutely stunning. And, I, and I, one of my first impressions from the cinematography right away was that they do linger and they spend quite a bit of time establishing these establishing shots of, you know, zooming in um, on on the the big, I don't know if they're monasteries or not monasteries, but some sort of religious, their churches, these these nunneries, whatever. I'm not sure the the correct term for them. But you spend a lot of time with these these close-ups and, and these wide-angle shots of the landscape establishing where you're at. And it does feel like a bit of wasted time, I guess, comparatively now. Um, I, I always liken it to, you know, me and the footage that I shoot. I wind up just taking my camera out there and, and wherever I'm at and just, like, just filming random things and spinning the camera around and getting these shots for no reason but um it is a very beautiful rugged desert 
very uh, lush and, and green, surprisingly. Um, it's very beautiful. But it's also a little bit of surprising because it didn't, they don't really do anything with that. Like, you, you think that, like, they're, they're, the director is they're showing you these images, these this landscape, because it's going to pay off at some point. It's going to contribute to the story in some way. Well, I guess it does. I mean, there's there's some settings where they show the, the cornfields or in the very beginning of the film, you, you get a sense of that. And then there are locations that are used later on. Um, there's a great scene at the end where... Um, they have these the nuns are all walking through um these the cornfield with these burning crosses and then 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 they have these um floral these big floral crosses it's very beautiful very a, a great scene but they they i guess they do reuse some of these locations later on but then the the um the sets i don't know if it's a, it's a set or an actual location i assume it's a location where it was filmed, you know, you have the the very cold, very stone um, nun church house, whatever it is. I'm sorry, you know, um, and you know, in, in the beginning, in the first like 15 minutes, you know, you, it's the setup. You want to know what these characters are doing, what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what the conflicts are going to be, who these characters are. Um, who the villain is, who the protagonist is. And, you know, the protagonist is very clear right away. And you get the idea once you meet, like, the mother superior or, like, this evil nun. My first thought was, okay, this this nun who was very mean to the, the kitchen, the other, the kitchen workers, these, these, these women, these nuns of color, she's very cruel to them. I'm thinking, okay... This is the this is the conflict here. No, I didn't even read the back of the box. I had no idea what the film was going to be about. Um, I approached it the the exact same way that I approach buying these movies. I I I purchased them and I watched them based on the cover alone, which is really how I picked up my uh, heavy metal music as a kid. Anyway, you go for the cover. That's the gnarliest, right? So that's what I do. In any case, I'm thinking right away, okay, this is, this is the antagonist, this nun. Well, that's not who it is at all. And, you know, there's just so many unconventional elements in here. It, you know, the story just led me to these very odd directions. Um, but really ostensibly the story is about, um, a nun who is tempted by Lucifer Okay, and her her faith is tempted, her her purity is tempted, her desire, her temptation, and she is successfully seduced by Lucifer. And after she is seduced, she then, you know, every 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 nun that she encounters, every person she encounters, she attempts to corrupt them um, sexually, which is odd. And when she doesn't get her way. When they don't, when they don't uh, relent to her, her unyielding, intense sexual pursuit, you know, she lashes out at them in violence. And there's a very odd scene where, because this nun, this Mary, she is studied medicine, and it is her position inside the nunnery, the church, the the wherever they're in, um, to care for not only animals. But the, but nuns medically as well, and this uh, nun comes to her with a physical ailment in her shoulder, and she has to partially disrobe. And when she does that, uh, Sister Mary, who is not perverted by Satan, uh, starts begin to like uh, just creepily like caress her and 
uh, just come on to her in a very kind of une- makes me very uneasy when you watch it, you know. Um, and then when when she doesn't respond, the nun doesn't respond to her. She lashes out in violence and stabs her. I think with like a scissor or something, and it's it's very odd. And you know they're they're in Mary's quarters in this very like closed off area, private room where she had before she had been like she had been flogging herself. Like you, you remember the beginning of um, um, Da Vinci Code where he has like the the the, the thorn bindings. These uh, the penitent. He's he's penitent, right? So he's got these. He's flogging himself, and he has these uh, this bridle of girdle of thorns on him. And she's doing the exact same thing. She disrobes. She's naked, and she she's she's you know punishing herself for her desires. So when this nun comes to her, she finally she relents. She relents herself and begins to try to sexually attack this woman. And she then stabs her with a scissor, and then just just very oddly like throws her out of the room. Just kicks her out of the room and then slams the door and then like another nun comes in and is like oh I just saw you know this other nun running down the hall and she's like uh, yeah she's nuts you know <laughs> she has, she's mental problems and they just don't address it at all and this is a very strange thing I mean if you if you look at the choices that the, that the director made and the way that the story went you compare it to how you tell it in a contemporary film you make completely different choices but to me, um, it, it didn't bother me at all. I, I loved it. I, I thought it was, um, I thought, thought it was good. It, uh, it was very strange. It just sort of added to this weirdness of the film. And then that theme does continue where um, Sister Mary, she she goes out then into the village and interacts with this boy and tries to seduce the boy. And he's he looks obviously very young. He looks like he's, I, I don't know, he looks young. And she's, um, you know, trying to sexually um, come on to him. And, of course, he's totally freaked out by it. So, like, not only she doesn't give up there, you know, she she she's also then she's also continued um, to be hounded by Lucifer, who continues to, like, taunt her and tempt her. Right. So later on, she she visits this boy at at his home with um, he lives with his grandmother and he's asleep in bed and she comes in and the grandmother gives her blessing to have the nun bless the boy and she disrobes and gets into the bed with the boy and begins to like it's this very uh, intense graphic sexual scene it's very disturbing a very disturbing scene when he begins to fight her um, she stabs him and mutilates him and it's very bloody very gory and then she sort of snaps out of it and she realizes that, oh my God, it's not the boy that I've been assaulting. It's this grandmother and she's killed the grandmother. It was, it was, very, it was a very confusing kind of moment where you get the sense that um, like psychologically she's tortured. She's very conflicted. Like not only is Satan and Lucifer this man, this like naked man, this very sexual like Dracula, <laughs> like Frank Langella Dracula, the man um, haunting her, tempting her. Um, he's he's also driving her crazy. She's losing her mind, and they don't really um, give a reason for that. Um, I thought you know there's there's one sequence where the nuns are reading from this book. I don't know if. It, I don't know if it's from a Bible or what it's from, but one of the sisters makes a comment 
she reads for this passage that says, you know, you, you are unable to tell the face, to distinguish the face of one sinner from another sinner because they all look the same, right? And their faces are all the same. And it's this shot where she's reciting this, this passage in a room full of other nuns where they're all dressed the same. And, and all their faces, they're one of them, they're indistinguishable from the next, right? Which I thought was like one of the more creative shots and one of the more creative sequences with the heavy, well, not the heaviest subtext, but that did have a lot of subtext in that sequence. So I mean, back to this thing. She, she murders his boy and then, and then her reign of terror is on, right? You know, she's just, she's lost her cotton pick in mind at this, uh, at this moment. She winds up um, killing another nun and this and that. And, um, you know, she, there, there she, has, she has one moment of lucidity where she realizes that she has left her necklace at the home of this boy when she's killed, which after she's burned, the, burned their cottage down, she's left her necklace there. So the, the, the townspeople bring the bodies of the dead boy and his grandmother to the nunnery church place and she goes into the where the bodies are under the roofs of like I'm going to protect I'm going to pray over them but her only goal is to remove the evidence linking her to the crime so she has that and she's you know she's she's spotted by one of the other like the the mother superior or whomever sees her doing this and she linger I think she that's one later she strangles with a rope something so, uh, eventually she is discovered for, um, because she makes this grand gesture to this nun, how she, she, she speaks the word of Satan. You know, she has the words of Satan flowing through her. She's going to, her goal is to, is to die and to go to heaven and to overthrow God and all these sort of like very sacrilegious things. Which I think was very shocking for the time in Mexico and in a very hundred percent Catholic country to have these anti-religious messages in there. Uh, you kind of wonder, like, how did this get made? How did they approve all of this, right? Well, that's interesting because it turns out at the very end of the whole thing. Now, if you haven't seen this film um, and you don't want me to spoil it for you, that's sort of too bad because I'm going to anyway. But, uh, you know, it, it's one of these things. The ending of the film is very bizarre, and I, I just did not see it coming. She is being hunted down by all of the nuns. They're going to get medieval on her ass, basically, right? They're going to put her through the Inquisition, is what, what they're saying, and meaning they're going to pour molten lead down her throat. They're going to pull her eyes out, do all these things to her, cut her up. In fact, there's this there's a very grisly sequence of Mary when, when she's confronted by Lucifer at the end. And he says to her, I need you to basically accept me and your heart, you know, and I'll make you mother superior. And this is when all the nuns are, are pursuing her with these, with these crosses of fire. And she's so conflicted. And she has that one moment again, where she says, no, you get out of here. I'm going to give myself in the name of Christ. I, I abolish, I banish you Lucifer. And you think, okay, that's where this, this is heading. She's going to die. She's going to repent for her sins and it's all going to be, and that's the whole thing. That's the message of the film, right? She 
she does she's tempted by Lucifer. It's very heavy-handed metaphor. She's tempted, she sins, she's penitent, she's repentant. You know, she can't believe that she's doing all these things. And in the end, when she's finally confronted by Lucifer to give in, she says no. Okay. Well, as the crowd grows closer, closing in on her location, this beautiful sequence of these nuns carrying the the flaming crosses, um, and this wonderful shot. It's like the, it's the nicest shot in the film. She's sort of in front of this cave, Sister Mary, and there's this nice, beautiful pond, and there is a waterfall nearby. It's very idyllic. It's very beautiful looking. I almost thought it was a matte painting at first, and yeah, I don't know. If, I don't know if it is, but it certainly doesn't. You know, it almost kind of has that ethereal quality to it. And they close in on her, and, and she panics and says, you know, I repent. Or, or you know, Lucifer, I, I'll take you up on your offer. I don't want to die. Um, you know, she's, and, and then at the very end, she's a coward and says, I don't want to die. I will become Mother Superior, whatever. And then as the nuns arrive, now their flaming crosses have turned into fl- crosses of flowers. Full of these beautiful floral bouquets. And they and then they say, okay, we, they say, Sister Mary, we 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 love you. We love how how holy you are, how good you are, and we want you to lead us as our mother superior, because our other mother superior was killed. And uh, and she does. So they they lead her back to the nunnery, to the to the church, to whatever. She opens the door. And then there's this huge, like, um, party. It's like uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. It's this big, uh, all these nuns are naked, and they're playing the lutes, and they're kissing each other, and lesbianism, and all this stuff is happening. And you're like, okay. So then Lucifer's there, and he's very proud. He's very happy to see what, see what I've done, see everything I've done. And at that moment, I got this sense that, like, the whole thing was going to be, okay, I had this idea that what Lucifer's goal was was to corrupt Sister Mary, to corrupt like the most noble, the best nun in the whole convent, in the whole joint, corrupt her so she can corrupt everyone else and put her under his control so then he would be wielding power from behind the scenes. And then I had this thought they would like move from town to town or settlement to settlement. And that he's going to take over the world. And I was like, okay, that's where I see the story going. That was, that was my prediction for the film. That didn't happen. They turn on her and they kill her very violently. They stab her to death. And it was a very shocking moment. I just did not, I did not see it coming. And I'll say that for like every shocking moment in this film. I just did not see these moments coming, which made it hugely enjoyable. So she's, She's bloody. She's been stabbed by her, by her compatriots, and she's going down the hallway to her room. She's making her way down. And she's all bloody. She she has this knife sticking out of her back, and she falls on her bed. And as she falls on the bed, of course, that knife drives itself further into her spine, and she has a final death rattle. And they cut to the, and they cut to her laying there, all bloody. And then there's this very strange sequence where she's now she's. Um, not bloody anymore and she's laying very peacefully on her bed 
and it's this whole thing of they cut to the nuns outside having the conversation of Sister Mary finally died. She succumbed to her illness. The the plague took her. And she can now, her soul is transcended to heaven and she's in peace. So what they've said is this whole thing was a fever dream of a dying nun, you know, manifesting her, her, her innermost fears that she's going to be corrupted and lose her chastity and lose her piousness and lose all of these good qualities about her and succumb to Satan and be tempted by Satan. And I was like, what? What the hell just happened? But I guess they kind of leave it open. According to the son of the director, they do leave it open in a sense where you can, it's, it's, it's very ambiguous. Um, he says, I thought it was very um, cut and dry. Like, you know, really, I didn't read it any other way is that because of the addition of that line, you know, that um, she succumbed to the plague in her fever, it was all a dream. You know, and, and now I understand why that is such a trope. Um, and I, you know, I'll admit that my film IQ is for having a, a guy with a film podcast and, and loving movies as much as I do. I'm not my film IQ isn't the highest in the world. You know, I don't, I can't, can't think of every example ever of where a dream sequence turned out to be real. Or I'm sorry, the explanation for the events of the plot, except for like wisdom with Emilio Estevez is the only one that I can remember. I'm sure there's more and I'm sure that's why it's a trope, but this was one of the most egregious, but I think, I think necessary, a necessary choice for this film because it's probably how it got distribution and how it was allowed to play in theaters or get distribution because I don't think you can have that message at the time in Mexico in the 70s in a completely Catholic dominated society I don't think it would fly of course Americans would eat it up we would love it you know so um yeah, there was just a lot of things in the film, a lot of storylines, a lot of things that I thought they were going to elaborate on. In fact, in the beginning, um, I'm kind of all over the place here, but, you know, that's how my brain works. I have no host. I have no co-host here, so deal with it. But um, there, in the beginning, she has a, there's a great moment where Sister Mary is interacting with the other, the two nuns, the kitchen helper nuns, who who confide in her that they were slaves and that they were, um, they hate their lives. She hates her life, this, this woman. She joined the church, I believe, to escape this life. She, she thought that, you know, joining the church would be a relief for that type of treatment, but she's treated terribly and she hates it. You know, and I was like, oh, okay, maybe that's a theme. And it was so early on in the film. I was like, okay, maybe they're going to lean into that. that. That's a good element to lean into. It's a very strong element. I was like, wow, that's that's good. I mean, that, that's a good that's a good angle, right, to kind of lean into. That's a good character. You know, you feel terrible for these women who are, like, whipped and just, you know, there's just no reason for them to be to be stuck in the kitchen and, 
and uh, mistreated and thrown around and called names and all this sort of thing. And, and you think, yeah, this, this is definitely the evil nun. This is definitely the villain, this woman. But the villain turns out to be the protagonist. And there's just so many twists and turns like that in this movie that, that's very unexpected. Now, which, which I loved it. Um, and I think that, you know, with, with films like this and, and certain independent releases, there can be a lot of downtime, on-screen downtime, which I think to me is a really good indicator of having, you know, no, no good the story is not good. The script is not good. You don't know how to manage your time as a director, as an editor. You know, there's not enough there to fill out your 90 minutes or your 85 minutes or whatever it is. And you wind up with a lot of sequences of characters wandering around, going from location to location, and you, and you, you complete their travel journeys with them. I can think of one film that I'm definitely going to cover on the podcast, Witchcraft, the original Witchcraft film, where there's, there. I think I counted a solid 15 minutes of screen time. And you can clock this yourself. 15 minutes of screen time of the character waking up in the middle of the night and moving from one location in the house to the next. And it's just, it just for whatever reason, they're just walking along a, a misty, crowded corridor and, um, you know, nothing really happens other than they're just trying to get from location to location. And you, I see that so often in these uh, lower-budget films. That's the only thing... I'll ever say that's negative, I think, about these. Because I think I can find, um, always find something positive about even the worst film, whether it's a wonderful performance, great special effects, good box art, or there's some like a good t shirt. Something like that always has redeemable uh, value to me. All of these films have value, whether I enjoyed them or not. But this film, aside from a couple of shots that just sort of lingered too long, I think, in one location. And I think that maybe there was a few, well, quite a few missed opportunities, I think, for the cinematographer to be creative with the camera angles, given the wonderful locations and costumes and actresses that they had in the cast. I would have loved to have seen some more creative camera angles. I just think that it, it would have made a bit more of an artistic film, you know, but maybe that just, you know, wasn't the director's style. It wasn't his choice. I just felt personally it, it's a bit of a missed opportunity, but certainly nothing that um, I'm going to hold against the film at all. Overall, um, I loved Satanico Pandemonium, a.k.a. La Sexorcisto. Um, I highly recommend picking up this release from Mondo Macabro and giving it a, a watch. There's great streaming agencies out there, streaming services. Shutter and Night Flight. You might find this on there. I don't know. I know that I wind up seeing Shutter is just crushing it. They're killing it with their their the availability of these releases on there. And I'm sure that Severin and, you know, Grindhouse and Arrow are partnering with places like Shutter and Night Flight. And it could be even an arm of, of those companies. I don't know, but the, the availability of these, of, of the lesser known titles are out there. 
and they're cheap. And I think that that's a better value to me, five bucks a month for a shutter or night flight to get unlimited access to these great films, even if you only keep it for six months or so. It's completely worth it. If you don't have the budget, if you don't have the money to, like me, to burn like a moron, to burn your money on these movies and these releases, um, get those streaming services and see if you can't find one for yourself. I don't know where this is at. You know, you might even find a version on YouTube somewhere. But I think that once these films have been licensed by these companies, they tend to crack down on the YouTube releases. You know, they'll get rid of them. And I was certainly guilty of that long ago. I would uh, drudge up these shot-on-video forgotten gems. I'd throw it on YouTube for a while, and then eventually labels would pick it up, and then I'd have to take it down and all that sort of thing. But I just feel like these movies should be available for everyone to watch, but not at the expense of the filmmaker. Certainly I gained no monetary compensation from that. I didn't make any money off it. I just wanted to share these movies with other people I thought would enjoy them on a, on a wide platform, but that's not really my job, and you know that's something that I will get paid for. Now I can do that through, I think, my review or my interpretation. I think it's less of a review and more of my interpretation and my feelings about this film because, you know, I'm not terribly critical. I'm very forgiving, and I'm very, I'm very loving about these films. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Pick this up. You'll, I think you'll like it if you're listening to this podcast, and you and you are a Blu-ray fanatic like me, and you like the boutique stuff. And yeah, um, it looks nice on my shelf. I'll tell you that. And the Mondo Macabro just did a wonderful, wonderful job. My only, I think my only gripe really is that if you pay now, if you pay twenty-five, thirty-five dollars for these boutique releases, I think you expect more than bare bones packaging. You know, like I'm a huge fan of the super special edition. The Arrow cardboard releases and even Grindhouse are killing it, crushing it with some of their releases, Cannibal Holocaust, Pieces, Cat in the Brain, um what else? Cannibal Ferox, uh the tough ones, all that stuff. I I'm loving it. Even even the beautiful releases by AGFA. Um I, I love the lo-fi DIY aspect of those releases, and I'm going to be covering a lot of those titles, all of those titles, on the show in no particular order. This was just one of them. Satanico Pandemonium, La Sexorcista. One day we're going to crack open that Nasty Habits box set I got sitting on my shelf. I'm looking at you right now, buddy. I'm going to crack that sucker open, and we're going to get into it. And... um I'll give you my thoughts on every single one of them. Check it out. 